It's good to be with you this morning. Um, So indeed, uh, Laura's right. Uh, A transformation is going to happen in, uh, uh, well, sort of Jonah's life, definitely uh, in the the life of the Ninevites this morning. Um, uh, But as uh, you sit there and play with your Play-Doh this morning... uh, (laughs) We might, uh, we might learn that Jonah needs a little more transforming left to do at the end of this story, right? We get to the end of it all, and we find that Jonah, he's not quite in the place that you would expect him to be at the end of a Bible story. You might expect him to be a little farther down the road, which I don't know about you, but actually brings me some kind of comfort, because there are many days where I know... I still have work left to do. There's more road left for me to walk. And so when I look at the person of Jonah, a prophet of God, I think, well, he had work left to do too. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, our Father in heaven, we come this morning and... um, Lord, you've seen it all. You are the one who has watched history unfold, and you've been part of it, and you have moved the pieces, and you have moved the people, and God, we come this morning to worship. We come to give our thanks and our gratitude. We come to say that you are holy, and we are not, but we sure desire to be. God, we come this morning asking to be a changed and transformed people, people made in the image of God, needing to be remade into the image of God. God, this morning, speak a word through me, and I pray that the people find your word and hide it in their heart. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. All right, folks, Uh, promise, last sermon on Jonah, Uh, it's only been five, it's not been that much, and we even had like a little break in the middle, so, uh, but here we are, we're at the end of it all. I've already said, uh, the story doesn't quite end like you might think it would. Uh, The story doesn't begin like you might think it would, right? We already discussed that. When we discussed Jonah chapter 1, we get the word of the Lord coming to a prophet, which happens a lot, uh, and then that prophet running in the opposite direction, which happens never uh, else in Scripture, right? This is the only example where a word comes to the prophet, and then the prophet heads in the opposite direction. So Jonah, we already know, is, is, it's a unique book. And he's a unique man and a unique prophet in this way. And his life is, uh, it, again, I, I said this in that first week, but often we come to Scripture thinking uh, that they have for us, it has for us, uh, um, stories of people that we're supposed to just simply be like. Right, And so you read about Abraham and you think, yes, I should be a, a man of faith like Abraham. 
Or uh, you read a story about David and you think, yes, I should be a leader uh, like David was a leader. Uh, or Moses, or, you know, uh, name the person. And what we often find is like wrinkles in the story. Abraham doesn't always do what he should, or David certainly doesn't either. Even Moses doesn't. Uh, but when we get to Jonah, what we really find is Jonah almost never, with the exception of chapter 2, and even that had its own wrinkles, really not doing quite what, we, what he should be doing, right? In chapter 2, he, he finds himself in, in the belly of the fish, and he prays that long, lengthy prayer, uh, and in it, we might think that there should be more repentance, but we don't get quite as much as we should. And then in chapter 3, he finally goes to Nineveh, just so we're all on the same page, and when he gets to Nineveh, he preaches his sermon. Uh, I didn't point this out last week and probably should have, but if you'll turn with me to, to Jonah, well, just very quickly, in uh, chapter uh, 3... His sermon is, is super short. <laughs> uh, you might be thinking I should take some cues. Um, I'm not going to, though. Uh, so in uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, he says this. So Jonah began to go into the city. It's a day's journey, and he starts crying out, and this is all he says. This is all we get from Jonah's lips uh, to the people of Nineveh. It says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's his message. And uh, miraculously, the people listen, they repent, and they change their ways, right? I'll say many people uh, have a little hard time believing uh, that the, the fish could swallow Jonah and he could live in the belly of a fish for three days and that this is the big miracle of the story. I have a little more trouble believing that a city with 120,000 people in it would be willing to repent. I don't know if you know people like I know people, uh, but that doesn't typically happen and feels like a bigger miracle in my mind uh, than what happens there in, in chapter 1 or the end of chapter 1. Nevertheless, he, he gives this sermon and he says, well, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. But there's a little trick that gets played on Jonah in this that you might not realize. My friends at the Bible Project uh, pointed this out to me through one of their videos. I actually don't know them in person, but I think of them as friends. And, and they say, uh, and they're right, the, the Hebrew word at the end of all of this, the word that says uh, overthrown, right, or overturned, uh, it actually has a few meanings. Uh, here, and clearly for Jonah, the hope is, well, what it sounds like, which is that Nineveh shall be destroyed, right? And this is indeed what we get. This word is used uh, when talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It is overturned. It's overthrown and it's destroyed completely, right? But then there's this other way the word gets used, and it's, it's far more positive. And Jeremiah uses it this way when he talks about uh, are uh, turning God turning mourning into rejoicing, right? And, and the turning there that happens, same word, right, is 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 positive because it's it's a bad thing turning into a good thing. And so the question then becomes like, what what's happening here? And it's clear by the end of chapter three, what's happening is that 
in fact, transformation is happening to the people of Nineveh through their repentance, and they are, quote, overturned or overthrown or, or transformed into a different kind of people. And this causes God to relent at the end of chapter 3. And so, picking up for today, we'll just start there right at the end of chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. And then we get our first verse for today, which is, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. If there's one word for Jonah in chapter 4 of the book, it's angry. Jonah is angry throughout it, with one exception, we'll get there. He's angry throughout it. And primarily, he's angry at, at God, right? Because God has done this thing. He, he has relented from the disaster that was supposed to, to come on the people, and, and now Jonah is sitting there sulking, angry, frustrated, because God had Mercy. And verse 2 continues. And it says, He prayed to the Lord. And he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? When I was back home, before I ever left on this journey, isn't this what I said? Now, we don't get an account uh, of Jonah actually saying these things. But Jonah's telling us in retrospect that apparently he had this conversation with God. And he says, That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew you, God. I know who you are. <laughs> and then you don't expect him to say this and just come out and, and kind of give the news that he gives. I know who you are. You're gracious. You're merciful. You're, you're slow to anger. And you're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's who you are. And he's basically saying, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'll be honest. This week as I was preparing my sermon for today, I just tried to get into the person uh, of Jonah a little bit. And who would say this sort of thing, right? And um, there's one way to read all of this that, that makes it kind of comical. Uh, and, and you can certainly read this as a, a, like a satire or, or, or some kind of... Uh, but that's not where my, my heart went at all. And, and maybe it's just some of the things I've seen uh, in the world these days. Maybe it's people I've met in my own life uh, who are Christians uh, or uh, I don't know what, but I started to get angry myself. At Jonah, though. At Jonah. And thinking, who, who does this? Who, who resents the fact that God is gracious, right? Who does that? Who resents the fact that God is, is merciful, and that God wants people to be saved. 
And that God relents from disasters. Who would do that? Have you ever resented God's mercy on somebody else? Have you? I've tried to think in my own life if, if I have. It's hard to spot mercy. It's a little easier to spot blessing in somebody else's life. So maybe let's ask that question. Have you ever resented blessing in somebody else's life? Where it feels like, oh, it's just not coming at me. I'm not getting the blessings and I'm watching all these other people. They're, they're doing just fine. They're doing well. And their Facebook page looks really happy. And uh, <laughs> Have you ever resented somebody's blessing? Uh, it's possible I've told this story from my childhood, but here, here's, I'll, I'll say I feel like an old man uh, who is uh, getting up in years and kind of tells the same stories over and over. I hope I'm not that. If I become that at any point in my ministry here, just, just come to me and say, hey, you, you've been telling that story a few times. You should probably retire that one, and then I'll write it down on a sticky note and put it on my computer. Uh, and then it'll get lost, and then I'll tell the story again. No, so this one, I, I actually don't know that I have. So I, uh, when I was a child, I think it was my 12th birthday, I received a fish tank for my 12th birthday. Did I tell this story? I did not ask for a fish tank. <laughs> Generally speaking, 12-year-olds don't want fish tanks for their birthdays, just parents' heads heads up. Some do, uh, so if you do, like that's great. I did not want a fish tank for my birthday and was sorely disappointed when the only gift I saw on the table, it was just one gift, and I thought, well, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a good one. And then I, I open it up and it's a fish tank, right? Now, I harbored this resentment for about nine months. Um, didn't tell my parents, of course, because that's my personality and my family dynamic. And so it just kind of went uh, under the surface for a time. And then it was my brother's birthday, and uh, he's younger than me. And, and um, he also is much better than me at listing out what he wants for birthdays and Christmases. And, and so he had a very clear list for mom what, uh, what he wanted for his birthday, which kids, by the way, this is how to do it. Uh, <laughs> Christmas is coming up. Make those lists. Make them clear. <clears throat> and uh, so I knew exactly what he was getting. And, um, and I was harboring my resentment from my fish tank. And he... Um, he begins to open his gifts. And with every gift he opens, I also knew how much they cost. And I start adding up, like how much my parents spent uh, on every single gift. And, and I was a, of a math mind, I have a decent math, math mind. And, um, and so I'm like adding these up in my head and, and it's getting astronomical. And, and as I do, the, 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 the fever pitch of the room is getting, uh, I'm getting, you know, beside myself. And I think we get to the end of a table filled with gifts, right? It's not just like one gift. It was, uh, my dad must have had a great fall because uh, he, he really went all out. 
And so then we get to the end of it all, and I'm, I'm clearly frustrating my parents too, by the way, um, because of, again, uh, my resentment, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm creating a, something of a scene. All of this is on videotape, by the way. <clears throat> and so uh, I, I think it's done, because I knew what my brother was getting, but I didn't know. And there was one more gift. And I couldn't believe it when my dad said, look out on the porch. And um, my brother walks out onto the porch and there's a new BMX bike that I had wanted. And I was at this point, I mean, I, it was done, right? I couldn't believe it. The unfairness of it all, right? I mean, he was experiencing Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. I felt like Esau, right? Uh, and he was Jacob. Uh, and, and it was blessing upon blessing. And, and, and I remember shouting out, all I got was a fish tank. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, we've all been there, though. The resentment of somebody's good fortune, somebody's blessing, what good is happening to another's life. And I see this happening here with Jonah. And this good thing is, is happening to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah might even be saying, why doesn't this happen to Israel? Why doesn't this happen to us, right? God, why are you being so kind to them? But man, you really hit us with your judgment, the fall of the northern kingdom, the fall of the southern kingdom. Suddenly we're out of God's graces, it seems. But no, Nineveh, Nineveh, nothing happens. And, and, and you get this sense that, that Jonah's a little bit of a, a spoiled child who needs to learn a few more lessons in life. My guess is as Jonah exited the city, and he knew that God was relenting, um, not only became frustrated and, and angry, but there is connected to it this nice German word, um, uh, oh, what is it now? I just lost it. Um, it's, it's the sense of um, where, what is that? Schadenfreude. That, that's it. You know this word, Schadenfreude? It, it's where you're, you revel in somebody's uh, downfall, like when some, so I imagine Jonah as he first exits the city and he's, he's just like out there waiting for uh, the hail to come down and, and to judge these people. And he's all excited to watch it happen. And then it doesn't happen. And this leads to his frustration and to his anger. And as we read, all of this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he says, I knew who you were. I knew, O Lord, that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. That's who you are. And if you don't know that this passage uh, it, it should actually ring some bells in, in your, your head or in your ears. Th these words should sound familiar to you because uh, 
I think they came up in a sermon not long ago, for one. Uh, but two, they come straight out of the book of Exodus, Exodus 34. He's, he's quoting God himself. God says this about himself in Exodus chapter 34, which uh, might sound like a random passage to you, but it's not at all. This is when Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, and down below, down below, well, you know what Aaron and, and the Israelites are doing, right? They're creating that golden calf down below, and God is revealing his very character to Moses. And he says these words, that this is who he is. And Jonah, Jonah resents that fact. Now he sure liked it when Israel was given mercy with Aaron and that golden calf incident, which is what happens. But when the shoe's on the other foot, and it's his enemy who needs the mercy, no mercy, right? No mercy. Continuing on, therefore now, O Lord, he says, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? He just poses a question. I, I love when God asks questions. I've told you this before. I love when questions are asked, generally speaking, in Scripture. Uh, but here, God asks the question. And it's a question you should ask yourself sometimes, right? When, when you're feeling that anger inside, uh, the words coming to Jonah should be coming to you. And you should be asking yourself, do I do well to be angry? And another way to put this, by the way, is... Uh, the, the word do well, it's, it's a bit of a strange, uh, not just a translation, but the, the way it's all constructed is, is weird. The word is a simple, uh, important Hebrew word, tov. Tov just simply means good, which is, so another way to ask this question is, is it good? Is it a good thing for you to be angry? Is it a good thing for you to be angry? And... I can hear my wife telling me, uh, sometimes there are good reasons to be angry, right? And this is true. I, I do believe there is a positive uh, side to anger. But anger, man, uh, it is one of these things that, um, it, it's like a nuclear reactor. You really got to have a close control over it for it to be a positive thing. Because most of the time, most of the time, it's probably going to explode and it's going to cause some real problems. I think we've all seen some of these problems in our world. Anger seems to be through the roof these days. You can find it everywhere, especially on social media. I've started to avoid social media like the plague, <clears throat> like COVID-19. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's everywhere, right? Anger. Do you do well? Is it good to be angry? The answer is clearly no. Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He's still hopeful, 
He's still got a little bit of that schadenfreude left in him. And he's hoping, just hoping, that maybe God will relent on his relenting, that the disaster will come. It doesn't. And so he waits. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. To save him from his discomfort. Miracle number three is plant. Uh, Miracle one was the fish. Two was all these people repenting. Uh, And three here is this plant. Uh, Overnight, pops up, and and Jonah sits under it, right? And I said uh, a few times now, so you should know this, uh, the middle of the middle of Jonah is, is the verse that says that salvation belongs to the Lord. And here we have another example of salvation belonging to the Lord. And, and the Lord comes and he saves Jonah from his discomfort, which is uh, actually another word for evil. He saves him from this, this evil. And so Jonah's anger momentarily is turned to gladness. So Jonah was exceedingly glad now because of the plant. But the story takes another turn. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, and the worm attacked the plant so that it withered. Uh, I don't see this as a miracle because I see it in my backyard too frequently where uh, a worm or a grub or something attacks my plants and seemingly overnight, they're gone, right? And this happens to Jonah. It feels a little bit like God is, is just kind of playing with Jonah at this point, but I think he's trying to teach him a lesson, and we'll get to it by the end of the book here. And the lesson is, is, is seemingly a simple one. There's this simple plant that Jonah takes joy in, that he becomes glad that he has. And he laments, and he becomes angry, we'll see, when this plant is taken away from him. But he somehow can't muster the same sort of uh, grieving and lamentation over a city filled with 120,000 human beings who are supposed to die, and they don't. And why he can't muster the same amount of lamentation over 120,000 people as he can over a plant. Well, it exposes something in Jonah, doesn't it? And probably in us too. Exposes Jonah's got work left to do. He needs to figure out his priorities. He needs to figure out Why mercy, as the New Testament tells us and the Old Testament, why mercy is better than sacrifice, right? When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beats down on the head of Jonah so that he becomes faint, and he asks that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Here it is, same question. 
just adds a little bit to it. Is it good for you to be angry about this plant? Here you are again, Jonah, angry, one more time, and now you're angry about the plant. Is that good? Jonah, oh Jonah, he, uh, he says, yes, yes it is good for me to be angry, angry enough to die. That's Jonah's response. Can you believe that? You probably didn't see that coming, unless you've read this before. You might expect Jonah to say, you know what, God, you're right. Uh, I, I should not be angry over something as trivial and small as a plant that you grew for me. But this is not Jonah's response. Jonah says, no, it is good for me to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, And here it is, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Question mark. End of this book. (laughs) It ends with a question. Right? Yeah, this is like God's mic drop, right? Again, you don't expect your book to end this way. But here we have it. And I'll say this, if, if it does only one thing, and I think it does a few things, but if it does only one thing, it really turns the book then around like a mirror on us, doesn't it? By, by concluding it with a question mark, it forces an answer. And if, well, the Bible's not going to answer it, well, now we have to answer it. Somebody's got to answer this question. And so it forces us to take a hard look at our own lives, about what we value, about how we understand who God is in this world, about mercy about things like grace and about just how wide God's grace is. I'm going to conclude with a a hymn that I want to sing together. I'm going to read it first and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing it. Uh, It's in our hymnal. If you'd like to, you can go ahead and just go open it uh, and read along with me. I found it this week, and I found it to be poignant. Um, I, I found it to hit me in a few different places that was convicting, and I think it's something we all need to read from time to time. It's not one of the more famous hymns that I can tell anyway. I certainly didn't know the tune, and so we've had to come up uh, with a different tune to sing to it. To, uh, we're going to sing it uh, to the tune of Come thou fount of every blessing. Is that right? Oh, yeah, sorry. Number 25. Thank you, Cheryl. It's uh, hymn number 25. It goes like this. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. And there's a kindness in God's justice which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good 
There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in his blood. But we make God's love too narrow by false limits of our own. And we magnify its strictness with a zeal God will not own. Man, that sounds like Jonah. For the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If our love were but more simple, we should rest upon God's word and our lives would be illumined by the presence of our Lord. The very thing Jonah runs from, the presence of God. This hymn writer reminds us that if we had just this kind of love, if we're just more simple, our lives would be illumined by the presence of our Lord. Let's pray together. God, who sent his Son, Jesus Christ, that we might receive mercy, though we don't deserve it, that we might be shown grace, though it be a gift that we don't deserve. God, I pray that we be people of grace and mercy because you are a God of grace and mercy. That we be a people of abundant love because you are a God of abundant love. And you designed us in your image and you are remaking us into that image. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, and the one to whom we look for the way of being in this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.